You're listening to the Story Embers podcast, a podcast dedicated to guiding and inspiring Christian storytellers to glorify God with excellent craftsmanship. I'm your host, James Nola, and welcome to episode 52, where we interview a very special guest, Sarah Ella, about her novel, Coral. Welcome to episode 52 of the Story Embers podcast. I'm Brianna Hilvetti, the blog director at Story Embers, and I'm here with James Mariposa and special guest Sarah Ella, the author of Coral, which is a novel we've been studying through a series of articles over the past week. I've enjoyed reading our staff members' takeaways, as I'm sure our audience has as well, and now I'm excited to hear the author's perspective on the creative process behind the story. Thanks so much for joining us, Sarah. Thank you for having me. Now, my first question is, what first inspired Coral? Did you want to write a Little Mermaid retelling and then decided to make the story about mental illness? Were you focused on mental illness to start with and the story turned into a fairy tale retelling along the way? Or how did the story end up developing? Well, the first time I decided to go ahead and write a Little Mermaid retelling, it was because Nadine Brandis and I had attended a book signing uh, that Marissa Meyer was doing when winter came out in Salt Lake City. And Marissa Meyer has this tradition, I don't know if she still does this, but she said she had this tradition of telling an oral fairy tale the way that they used to be told. And so she decided that she was going to tell orally the story of the Little Mermaid, the Hans Christian Andersen original and I had never heard the original version. I grew up on Disney and I had no idea that it was so incredibly dark and sad and that the mermaid basically dies at the end. Uh, So that really kind of sparked me wanting to retell this fairy tale and it honestly it was not until I got through the very first, very, very rough draft that I, and I was about to turn it into my editor and I realized, oh my goodness, this story is not what I think it's about. I had been trying all of these different tricks and trying to make it unique and original and trying to write it like on a backwards timeline, like the movie Memento. And I was just trying to figure out like how much magic is in this because it's contemporary, but it has a twist. And so I was really feeling lost. And it was right before I turned it in to my editor that one line from the original version stood out to me and it was a mermaid has no tears and therefore she suffers so much more. And that is when I realized this is not just about a girl and it's a completely different story so I can't even tell you what it was about when I turned it in that day but I do know that it was then that I realized that the story was about mental health. Wow it's always so interesting how stories end up developing because sometimes it's not what you expect at all. Absolutely. Now one question I have for you Sarah was what were some of the difficulties of writing Coral and how did you overcome them? Because I know writing a book can be like really hard, particularly one that tackles difficult topics. 
Well, there were a lot of difficulties involved in writing Coral. First of all, my editor wanted an outline, and I had never done an outline before. I do not outline, but she really wanted an outline to make sure that I could get it in on time and stay on track. And so I had sent her a chapter-by-chapter outline, which really crippled me. Uh, It wasn't my editor's fault. It's just she wanted to know what's the story about and I could not tell her for the life of me. So the outlining process really caused me some problems because it's just not the way my process works. And then of course once I discovered it was about mental health it was an entirely different process of rewriting the original version which again I still can't tell you what that was even about. I think there was like an America's Got Talent uh, contest involved in which Merrick is trying to be like the America's Got Talent star. And I, I don't even know. I can't even tell you what that story was. But once I figured out it was about mental health, it was then a matter of making sure I was accurately depicting this character and the things that the characters, multiple characters and the things they were facing because we have a character who's dealing with depression and anxiety. We have another character who's dealing with suicidal thoughts. We have another character who he is kind of learning how to not blame himself. So we have all those different dynamics in relation to people who are dealing with mental health issues in some way, whether it be with themselves or with a family member or close friend. And so just making sure Obviously, you can't represent every single person in your novel because then it wouldn't be a novel. It would be the series of encyclopedias because you just don't have enough room to represent everybody. But I really wanted to make sure that people felt represented and heard and understood when they were reading it, not just from my own perspective of having dealt with past trauma, but also from the perspective of others. And so I reached out to some beta readers who very kindly, despite the triggering content of the book or the possibly triggering content of the book, were willing to read it and give their perspective as well as a mental health professional who read it and gave his perspective. And so with all of that, it was just really making sure that I was handling the content delicately in a way that is probably triggering to several people. And people have told me this is triggering. However, the book gave me hope. So I really wanted to represent the material knowing, okay, this is hard material, but I don't want it to be an ending that just leaves the reader feeling hopeless. So it was just kind of finding that balance. Yeah, I really love how you um, balance like light and darkness in Coral and like the ending. I especially like how the ending, it wasn't like a perfect ending, but yet it was still like a happily ever after ending. Oh, thank you so much. Now, playing off of that a little bit, since the story didn't quite develop the way you expected, or even the characters, the characters turned out differently than you expected. What insights would you say you learned about yourself and the types of characters and themes you were portraying as you wrote the story? Well, I would say, number one, that I learned to accept my process as a writer. So for any writers listening, uh, it's it's definitely freeing to just accept the process that best fits you and to also understand that your process can change with each book. My process has evolved with each book I've written and it never looks the same as it did for the last book. So just learning to adapt and learning to be able to change and that maybe I don't write 50,000 words in a weekend like some of my friends actually do this and I don't understand how in the world they do it, but that's not 
not my process. Uh, but, but besides learning about myself as a writer, I would say that I definitely learned kind of the way that I personally portray allegory in my stories. I've often told my friend Nadine Brandis, who you all probably know very well, uh, that I wish that I could put allegory into my stories the way that she does. And then she will return with, well, I wish I could do it the way you do it. And so in regards to theme, I think it's just that we each kind of discover those themes differently and we include them in our stories differently. I like them to be more subtle. And so in Coral, it was very subtle, especially compared to the allegory coming from the Unblemished trilogy. It was much more subtle. I was dealing with a contemporary setting and there isn't an altar call or your sort of come to Jesus moment. Um, there's no no mention of that at all, but I really wanted to just portray that, that faith and that hope and that love that Christ uh, represents for us through the way the characters interacted with each other and especially that theme with two of my male characters of, of forgiveness and kind of learning to see from a different perspective. Wow. Yeah, I, I agree. It's it's really important to embrace your personal creative process because I am not an outliner either. I Anytime I've ever had to write an outline, it's almost killed me because I just can't stick to it and I change my ideas. So and I found just that it's best just to embrace that, even though it's not always what people would expect of me because I come across as like hyper organized. But when I write, it's not that way. I relate to that so, so much. I am very organized. I have a calendar that I keep, but then in my writing, it becomes chaos. But it's beautiful chaos, right? Yes, <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> so speaking of the different perspectives within the novel, how did you go about writing the three different points of view in the novel and how did they provide contrasting ways to approach the main themes in the book? Yeah, that's a really good question. So I really struggled with this because it wasn't until, let's see, the... I want to say the line or even the copy edit phase that I included the letters from Prince. Um, there are just, it's a very small, short perspective where I, if I'm remembering correctly, it was years ago I wrote this. There are letters from Prince, right? Yes, I think so. <laughs> I hope so. So there are letters and that's from Prince's perspective. And uh, those weren't even included until the copy edit phase. Those are first draft just in there because I was like, well, I need this perspective because originally he was going to have a whole complete perspective of his own. Uh, and Merrick just kind of took off and I don't want to give away any spoilers to the twists in case somebody hasn't read it, but Merrick just kind of like, there wasn't room for that fourth point of view to be a complete point of view. There just wasn't room in the novel because Merrick just kind of took over and seeing his point of view. And then obviously there's Brooke's point of view, which is set in the present and first person. And then there is Coral's point of view, which is set in the past as well as Merrick's point of view is in the past. Again, it's funny, we writers, like we write something and then people ask us questions about it years later. And I'm like, that's how I wrote it, right? So the way that I did that was, was very last minute. Originally, it was all in first person, present day point of view. And it wasn't until the line edits that I realized, oh my goodness, this 
the way that it's written and it's broken up in seasons, I really need to kind of have this twist in here where we're seeing perspectives from from the present and from the past. And since I think all of the listeners, or for the most part, will be reading this for the for the book club, hopefully I'm not giving too much away. It's hard to talk about it without giving away that twist. But I really just kind of wanted to show that contrast, particularly between Brooke and Coral and kind of how their stories differ, (laughs) trying not to to give stuff away, but how their stories differ between the past and the present. And so that, again, wasn't even put in until I think they put out the galleys on NetGalley before the change. And so I had made the change, but the ERCs, the advanced copies were already out there without the change. And so there was nothing I could do about that. But overall, just with the contrasting past and present uh, was big for me, especially in dealing with mental health, because I wanted to show that things could get better, that there was darkness and that these characters had experienced darkness, a lot of darkness, and they were able to overcome it and get through it together. Yes, I love that. It's There's so much going on within the three different perspectives, different points of view, different tenses, such contrasting perspectives in their different lives. So I just loved reading it. So masterfully done. Oh, thank you so much. We'll be right back after this short break. Stay tuned. Well, welcome to this episode's mid-roll break. We're going to be going over Novel Marketing's seventh commandment of book marketing, and that is weigh your options before you invest in marketing. Now, this type of investment could be either time or money. My dad did a great job teaching me about opportunity cost, which is the idea that for everything you do, there is a cost and that you're not able to do something else. You spend time on project A, so you can't do project B. You spend money on advertising your book on one platform, so you can't spend that same money somewhere else that might be more effective. It's tempting to believe that anything that moves the needle is worth it. But is that really true? As the saying goes, good is the enemy of the great. So if you measure your actual marketing initiatives, how much effort it takes and how much results you get, you can compare those and weed out the bad and focus on, on what really works best. I will just briefly mention, we go into this more on our mini course, Breakthrough Strategies for Frustrated Writers which you can find in our academy at storyembers.org. So in conclusion, be discerning about how you choose to invest your time and money in marketing your book. And if you would like more book promotion and platform help, just subscribe to the wonderful Novel Marketing Podcast on your favorite podcast app or visit novelmarketing.com. Really do recommend you do that. I subscribe and listen to almost every episode. One of the things I love is that you write fairy tale retellings because I'm a huge fan of fairy tales. Uh, I grew up in fairy tales. Um, I wanted to be a fairy tale princess when I was a child. Uh, now I currently write retellings myself. So one of the questions I have for you is why do you love fairy tales and how have they impacted you as a person and as a writer? And like, why do you think fairy tales are important? 
Oh, so many great, great questions in that one question. Well, first of all, I think it's important to note that a lot of these writers of originally fairy tales were actually Christians. They knew the Lord and they had faith and they carried that faith with them in their stories. And so all of these old fairy tales, you know, they don't write them like they used to. They they had a lesson. They had a moral. They had something beautiful that we could take away from. Obviously, the uh, the one that comes to mind with that's you know the one we go to for allegory that I consider to be a fairy tale uh, in its own right would be uh, the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. I always turn to C.S. Lewis because I'm like that is the fairy that is the fairy tale, especially for Christians. But even these other fairy tales, The Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, Cinderella, we see these biblical themes and these lessons. We see good overcoming evil. We see light triumphing over darkness. I mean, I never get tired of Cinderella retellings. Why? I just read another one the other day, a Cinderella retelling. I'm like, why do I never get tired of the story? It's because we never get tired of the person who was abused being treated unkindly, overcoming her situation, where we see Cinderella being treated horribly. And in turn, that would give her every right to justify her treating other people horribly. But she overcomes that and she flips her story and stays kind throughout it all. And I think that's really at the heart of why fairy tales are so important, because it's really that message of good overcomes evil time and time and time again. Love conquers all. You know, I mean, just think about the TV show Once Upon a Time, which is like the embodiment of all of the fairy tales combined, right? Like true love's kiss can break any curse. Like that is the Bible. That is Jesus to me. Like Jesus's blood can break any curse. Like that is true love's kiss in the making is what Jesus did for us. And so I don't mean to get like, I'm getting goosebumps talking about it, but that's obviously I love fairy tales and that's why I love fairy tales because I feel like the entire Bible is a fairy tale and a true fairy tale. It's real. My husband likes to tell our son that the whole story of the Bible is slay the dragon and save the princess. That's the whole story of the Bible is overcoming darkness and what Jesus did for us in saving us as his bride. And so that's why fairy tales are so important to me. Obviously, I love all of the original Disney fairy tales, and I want to keep retelling these stories because I don't want them to be forgotten. Every time I think, oh, maybe I should come up with something more original. Maybe I should stop just trying to retell these old stories. I just can't get it. I just can't get away from it. So you're going to keep getting fairy tale retellings for me until God gives me something else because I just have such a passion for that message of truth and hope. I just want to say amen to all that. Everything you said there. Um, I think that's why I love fairy tales myself because the light versus darkness and like the themes that they tackle are just like timeless. Like they can be retold again and again and they never Mm -hmm. get old. Now, on that subject of retelling, what tips would you give to Christian writers who are crafting retellings? Yeah, I get this question a lot, actually. I get asked a lot, particularly about Cinderella. I want to write a Cinderella retelling. Do you think it's been overdone? And I would say, no, I don't think it's been overdone. Like I said, we never tire of hearing that good can triumph over evil. I don't tire of hearing it. So do your own twist. No two writers are the same. You're not going to tell Cinderella the same way that I'm hopefully one day going to retell Cinderella. So just put your heart into it. Do your research. 
merch, you know, compare and contrast the Disney version to the, there's so many different versions of these fairy tales from so many different cultures. And many times cultures, each culture has their own version of these different fairy tales. So do your research, find the themes and the things that stick out to you and write down the different elements that you want to keep, whether it be the glass slipper and how are you going to twist that on its head? What's your glass slipper or the beast library? What's the beast library in your fairy tale world? So just think up through those things and, and keep in mind that you can be as creative as you want. You don't have to keep it so on the nose and obvious. It can be a subtle retelling. Maybe you're not even calling a retelling and you're letting your readers discover oh my goodness I see the themes in this this is totally a Rapunzel retelling that's almost more fun than being told that it is a retelling so just keep all those aspects in mind there are so many different ways to tell a retelling you can have it be inspired by your favorite stories you can have it be a traditional retelling just have fun with it and write the story of your heart yes I love that because I've read several different retellings like of Peter Pan and like they're so different and so unique I love seeing how the author brings like your own story into it or just different themes and different aspects into the story. I can really never get enough of a retelling. Also, I just want to say, if you ever write a Cinderella retelling, I totally would love that. <laughs> I can't wait. Someday. <laughs> oh, and I just have to add on to that, that I love what you said in the end there about happy readers are when they realize something is a retelling and they didn't know it because I'm that person. Like I get so excited seeing the little connections and um, has almost like an extra depth to it that I didn't realize. So also for the benefit of the writers in our audience, if anyone here is planning to address mental illness, suicide, or another sensitive topic in their novel, how would you recommend they prepare so the portrayal comes across as empathetic and authentic? Like what kind of researching strategies did you use for Coral? I would say just give yourself the time you need, especially if any kind of mental health topic relates closely to you, whether you are dealing with it yourself or you have a loved one who has dealt with it. Give yourself time and don't rush it because it is a very emotional process, whether you're trying to write it from a distance or it's personal to you in some way. So definitely give yourself that time. I would also say be sensitive you know, to who you're asking to be your beta readers. There are plenty of people in my life that I could have asked, like, hey, do you want to read this? I know that, um, you know, you you have a loved one who died by suicide. Um, be, be sensitive to how far removed are they from whatever mental health issues they faced. Are they the right person to beta read? Are they in a state of mind to where they can handle in a healthy way reading the content that you're presenting so be sensitive be be aware just you know ask with that sensitivity and empathy going into it knowing that they may say no and it may not be the right time for them to do that do your research as far as you know, studying up from different sources that are credible sources. You could talk to mental health professionals who can give you a perspective, especially biblically certified counselors. If you are really trying to portray mental health through that kind of faith lens and with that message of hope. So do do your research, understand that it's going to take time and, and be sensitive to 
be sensitive to others and be willing to learn and listen. And just like all of us writers have to do, no matter what we write, be open to criticism, be open to knowing that you may not be portraying a certain person in in the way that they, they may not feel understood and they may have some feedback for you. That feedback may be helpful or it may not be helpful, just like any feedback is. So take it with a grain of salt, but also be willing to listen and understand. But most of all, like I said, to give yourself time. Don't rush the process. Yes. And understanding is so important when you're writing anything in fiction and just getting other perspectives because, you know, your own perspective is going to be limited. So that's, I'm sure that advice is going to be really helpful to a lot of people in our audience who want to cover some difficult topics and aren't sure what to do next. Yeah, so something I really loved about the novel was that you managed to explore darkness while always pointing back to the light, while always giving a sense of hope throughout the entire novel. And I just want to ask how you went about doing that. How intentional were you in always pointing back to that light? That's a really great question. I think as writers of faith, it's like, how can we not write our faith into our novels? And so first somebody who might not have that hope in Jesus, I would think it would be very difficult to to include that hope if they don't have that hope or haven't experienced that hope. I wouldn't say it was easy to include that because I've experienced my own darkness, but I would say it's something that needs to be intentional. And especially if you're a writer of faith working on these topics, stay in the word listen to sermons if you can't go to church in person, stay surrounded by friends who are encouraging you in the Lord and lifting you up and reminding you of why you're writing and who you're writing for and pray before every writing session. And I would say that those are really the keys no matter what you write, but especially if you're writing darkness and you're wanting to point to the light, you have to stay in the light, right? We have to stay in the light and Jesus is the light. His word is the light. So if you want to keep that light and that hope in your novels, then look to the only one we have hope in. Yeah, I really love that. There's just so much wisdom there. Thank you, Sarah. Thanks, James. I'd like to jump in with just like a kind of fun question is what is your favorite fairy tale? Like, is it one of the Disney ones or maybe one of like Anderson's tale? Like, what is your favorite fairy tale? Well, I used to say it was Beauty and the Beast because the Disney version of Beauty and the Beast was always my favorite Disney movie movie growing up. I would say that over the past several years, it has really become Cinderella. I just don't get tired of Cinderella. I love the story of a an abused girl overcoming her abuser. I just, that's what it is. It is. And she stays kind and gracious throughout. And and in the end, she doesn't even try to get revenge on her stepmother or her, her stepsisters. She is still kind, especially in the live, I think it's really the live action Disney version that really did it for me, where she really shows grace and forgiveness toward her stepmother at the end. And I just really love that. I love it so much. Obviously, I, I still love Disney and I would say my favorite classic Disney fairy tale would be Beauty and the Beast and my favorite modern one would definitely be Tangled. Yes, I love Tangled and Beauty and the Beast. I grew up on Beauty and the Beast and of course I love books so and I have a lot of books on Beauty and the Beast so of course I have to love it. So I've got another fun question for you. So I noticed in Coral there's a lot of references to the Disney songs like Under the Sea and Part of Your World 
And if I'm right, there were also some references to the Broadway songs from the musical, like One Step Closer and that sort of thing. I'm a bit of a musical fan, so I really enjoyed little references like that. I wanted to ask, what other fun allusions to The Little Mermaid did you include that we might be able to pick up on? Oh, goodness. It's been so long. There are so many. There are definitely nods to the the Disney version. I'm trying to think of some off the top of my head because I always include those Easter eggs. Even in the Emblemish trilogy, every chapter title is a lyric to a song. And so I love musicals just like you. I love music and songs. I'm trying to think... Obviously, obviously, Merrick is a play on the name Eric, and so that was kind of that was kind of fun to do. And then the the lyrics that you mentioned. I'm trying to think of what else from the Disney version. I really can't think of anything off of the top of my head. So it would be fun to see if any readers listening who are reading it for the first time or maybe reading it again can catch any of those Easter eggs and uh, share them in your Instagram stories and tag me and say, Sarah, Ella, I found one. I found one because it's been so long since I've written it that I'm, I'm really having a hard time remembering. But I'm glad that you picked up on those. Yeah, I love that you took the time to put all those little things in. Well, I believe that's all the questions we have for you. And I I so appreciate you taking the time to talk with us about the novel and share your insights. And I've just really enjoyed hearing everything behind the book because Coral is probably one of my top five favorite books. I, I just really connected with it. So I've loved hearing more about it. Before we close off, though, Where can listeners find out more about you and your books and your upcoming release? Yeah, so thank you so much for having me, all of you. This was absolutely wonderful. I'm honored to hear that you loved the book so much. And you can find me online at sarahella.com, Sarah without an H, ella.com. And then uh, Instagram is where I spend most of my time on social media, at Sarah Ella Writes. And my new book is coming out with Enclave Publishing on July 12th. It is called The Wonderland Trials. It is a retelling of Alice in Wonderland. It is a dystopian YA fantasy with with a pinch of sci-fi because I'm not smart enough to write these high science fiction novels that are amazing, but it does have a little dash of sci-fi in there and it is available in limited edition hardcover. Enclave is amazing. They gave me a foil embossed hardcover and it is limited edition. So you can pre-order your copy anywhere books are sold, but if you want a personalized and signed copy, you can pre-order it from my local bookstore, Changing Hands bookstore, and just mention in the order comments that you want it signed and personalized. Yeah, for all those listening, I recently, a few months ago, read The Wonderland Trials, and it is amazing. So you definitely want to read it. Oh, I'm jealous, Mariposa, because I haven't read it yet. I have to wait till it comes out. <laughs> yeah, I will add, too, that by the time this podcast comes out, that The Wonderland Trials will be released. So it'll be out for, I think, about a week now. Make sure you head over and to buy a copy of the book. Thank you so much, Sarah, for your time today. It's been so wonderful to hear all about Coral and the process behind it. So thank you so much for sharing. Thank you so much again for having me. It's always a joy to talk about my books. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. I hope you are as inspired by Sarah Ella's advice as I was. Have a topic or question you'd like to hear discussed on the podcast? Email info at storyembers.org to let us know. 
And as always, special thanks to our Patreon supporters, Taylor Clarkson, Michael Stanton, and Renee Kennedy. And finally, join us again on August 15th as we discuss the impact the Bible has on our writing in the next episode of the Story Embers podcast. Yeah, because I told you that I got an early copy of it. And like, I can't tell you anything about it, but it's good. Mariposa designed one of my goodies. So I'm really pleased with it. It's probably the favorite goodie I have. I was so excited when you contacted me for like, oh my goodness. I like it. It's probably one of my favorite projects that I've ever done. Oh, yay.